0: All right, if you want to open your Bibles to um, Philippians chapter 1, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1 and, and Philippians chapter 2. The last few weeks we have been uh, talking about this process of renewing your mind and what that means in a few different aspects of the things we've been speaking of. Um, we've been talking about the transformation that takes place when we resist conformity to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as I began studying this over the last couple of weeks, I'm finding out that there's a lot about our minds and renewing our minds when it comes to walking um, according to the, the gospel and, to, and following Jesus Christ. But we want that transformation. We want that transformation into more, to be more like Christ. And the, and the passage that I found on that, if you would just, just turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is about one page over probably. From where you are in Philippians chapter 2. In in verse 17, it says this says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And in verse 22, he talks about this transformation that takes place from that mindset to this mindset. In verse 22, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct. "...the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." The renewing our minds, we are casting off the conduct of our old man, the, the person we used to be before we knew Christ as our personal Savior. And we, are, and we are continually in the process of being transformed in the likeness of Christ when we continually renew our minds with the word of God. As a recap, over the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we we started there with the process of what it means to renew our mind when we resist conformity and we we look for that transformation that takes place by the renewing of our mind, and we have to guard our mind from the garbage, right? The trash, the negative messages that the world sends us, and we have to guard ourselves with the things that we deliberately put in front of us. We must guard our minds from those things, but... If you take all of the bad, you still have to replace it with something good. If you, if whenever you're restoring a car or something, you can remove all of the rust, but you still don't have a good car until you replace it with good metal and have a complete whole car. So therefore, we must fill our minds with those things that are, um, that are, that are preached about and taught to us in the Word of God. So we must remove the bad, as well as fill it with the good, and the transformation will start to take place from the inside out. And the things that we have in our minds will manifest in our behavior outwardly before the world. And also being able to do that, it gives us the ability to to stand against and to stand firm in the battle within our mind, which is the temptation. Because remember, temptation takes place where? Within our mind. And whichever place and whichever side wins out is manifested in our behavior. So therefore, renewing our minds gives us the ability and gives us the ammunition that we need to fight that battle within our minds. As as well as, this renewing of our mind is a spiritual growth process which requires a desire of our hearts that is given to us by the Lord to desire him, to become more like him, to know him more and more each day, but it also requires a very disciplined decision as a daily practice in our lives. Growing spiritually is your personal responsibility. Where you are with your Lord, your relationship with God, however it may be, whether it's on the rocks or whether you're on a high point, where you are spiritually is your personal responsibility. And therefore, we have to make a decision to be devoted to Christ on a day-to-day basis. So renewing our mind um, helps us to do that, to grow spiritually and desire a relationship with him even more and more each and every day. But when we as individuals, when we become transformed by the renewing of our mind... We, when each and every one of us take this renewal process and we go through this day-to-day effort and actually choosing to follow the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to really um, soak ourselves and our lives with what what the Bible teaches us, then we are. Then what we do is we become one-minded, one-minded, if you will. Just turn with me to um, Philippians chapter one and verse twenty-seven. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Whenever we as individuals take on the responsibility of our spiritual growth and our relationship with Christ... A byproduct of that is that God's people will be of one mind. God's people will be unified. We will stand together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's just a byproduct. You know, unity is not really the, the, um, what, we, what we strive for. We strive to be like Christ. And in becoming like Christ and being transformed like Christ, unity of the body of Christ, the church, is a byproduct we are unified because we have a single source from which we draw our decisions from. And it's an unchanging foundation. And if, 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 and if and when we all individually live our lives according to the word of God, then we are unified as a byproduct. As we continue reading, step, skip down to chapter 2 verse 1 it says therefore if there is any consolation in christ if there if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any affection or mercy fulfill my joy by being like minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. I want you to understand, just because you may be unified together on a a topic or an idea, doesn't mean that you're right. I have an understanding but there are qualifications and standards by which we must judge our mindset and the things upon which we are unified. In order for us to be unified for the sake of the gospel and unified with God, there's a standard that we have to meet and it's found in verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Just because you can gather a militia together, and be unified towards a certain target doesn't mean that it's right. But however, the things upon which we as the body of Christ should be unified on are those that are in the mind of Christ. If we are to be unified on the word of God, nothing else. Whatever God reveals to us, that is the thing upon which we stand unified together. And the standard is that mind... To be in us, which also was in Christ Jesus. And this unity, it becomes a reality when we renew our minds. There are a few traits that are listed in this passage which the church will be unified whenever we renew our minds. When the spiritual renewing of our mind takes place, you'll see these things happen. So starting in verse 1, what we're going to look for says: Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... First, we're going to have a unity and consolation. What's consolation mean? I had to look it up too. I wasn't for sure. But it means to encourage. It means comfort. It means exhort and strengthen one another. Whenever we all get on the same page with Jesus, when we all renew our minds with the word of God, we're going to have a unity and consolation. The very beat of the spirit of God is there to help us. To encourage us, to comfort us, to strengthen us when we need it. We are to be one in spirit, and we are to be busy about the ministry of the church. You know, we're to take the disturbed and the upset person, we're to take them and to console them, to comfort them, to encourage and to strengthen them. If you really think about that, if we did have a unity and consolation, across the board worldwide, amongst the body of Christ, of all believers. Imagine the spirit of unity that would actually flow through the church if all the members would just let the consolation of Christ flow through them. It'd be a great, great unity there. There'd be no murmuring, no grumbling, no disturbance, no disunity whatsoever if we were unified in consolation. And unified and encouragement, because there would be no one seeking to be discouraging. There would be no one seeking to discomfort someone or to tear someone down, but we would be about the business of encouraging one another in our walk with Christ. If somebody's downtrodden, they've fallen in sin, we would be there to encourage them not to tear them down, but build them up. So unity and consolation would actually take place if we all as individuals renewed our mind according to the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, again, it said, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. So we are to comfort one another and be unified in consolation. Secondly, the second thing that was mentioned there is love. Unity in love would be another one of those things. If we renewed our minds as individuals and became more and more like Christ... We will become one in love as well. The love of Christ stirs a person to keep the unity amongst believers. This love is a selfless, sacrificial love that gives itself for others. Unconditionally given to those around us. This love goes so far that it loves a person even if they don't deserve it. All right? It actually loves a person who utterly is unworthy of being loved. So where do we get that example? Well, it didn't take, we don't have to look very far. We can look in the mirror and we can see the love that Christ offered each and every one of us and how undeserving and unworthy of that love that we are. Actually he goes on to express that further and further along in in, uh, in verses 5 through 11 talking about the, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the on the cross that he was actually obedient to death even the death on the cross. That's the love that was expressed. We were so undeserving, so unworthy, but yet he was willing to extend his love, his grace, and his mercy to us in hopes that we would choose to have a relationship with him. So we're to be one in love. We're we're to have that type of love for one another. And if we experience that type of love worldwide through the body of Christ, if we were all as individuals truly pouring ourselves into into his word and allowing it to transform our lives, imagine the spirit of unity that would be there. Imagine the spirit of unity that would exist amongst God's people worldwide as well as local congregations if every member would love and let the love of Christ just flow through them. The expression of Christ in our day-to-day life to the people around us would impact the world so greatly. No bitterness, no anger, no strife, no action to tear someone down, but only to lift them up. The spirit of love. And in verse 2, he mentions it again. In verse 2, he says, you know, having the same love. Now, this is the answer to unity. But how desperately the church needs its members to let the love of Christ flow through them to each other. You know, we're not always united. Now, In that, what I mean is like not every person here lives their life according to the gospel of Christ. According to the message of the, of the word of God. Sometimes people fall, right? We don't live in a perfect world. As a matter of fact, if we were all completely unified on the things that I'm going to be talking about, we would have the perfect church. However, we know there's no such thing, right? Yeah, because we're all, we're all sinners, we all do foolish things, we fall, we, we let our, our opinions and our emotions carry us away on many different things, and we have, we, have, we have certain ideas about the way we want things to happen, and however, that can cause some conflict. And it causes conflict simply because we're not basing our decisions or our motives on the Word of God, we're not, we're not doing that solely, so therefore, that's why you have differences, the word of God is our standard, therefore, that's something upon which we can stand united with one another. And then when we let ourselves get in the way, that's whenever we have the strife. But this, but since, the, since we do live in a fallen world and since we do struggle with sin, and a lot, of, a lot of times many of us will fall. We fall. And some of us will fall and we will neglect to even give it any, any, um, any thoughts about it. Or have any desire to come back. To, uh, to a right relationship with Christ. That also means that we, as, the love, as, as people being united in love, we reach out to that person. Love also means to reprove and to correct and to show them their faults and to love them back into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's where we have to be unified in bringing that person back. The love of Christ unconditionally pouring out from its believers, if we would continually renew our minds and continually seek the relationship that Jesus Christ wants us to have, well, imagine the unity, imagine the love that would just pour out from God's people over the world, and it would make a vast difference. And understand, you know, I mean, my my um, you know my attitude gets in the way a lot of times too. I look at the world and this, I see the world around me, and I get so aggravated and I get mad. And I just want to say, you know, I'm just done with it. I'm not going to deal with that. You know, they can just go to hell if they want to. If they really want to live that way, then just, yeah, I mean, I, I get that way. And I have, I have a part of me that says, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the truth of the word of God. And if you don't want it, then fine. But however, I still have a responsibility to God to let the love of God pour through me and to bring that person to a point where they can receive Christ as their personal Savior. I cannot let myself get in the way, but I need to objectively follow with what the Word of God tells me. And I, can, and I can do that when I continually renew my mind according to the Word of God. Number three. You would also see a unity in spiritual fellowship. He goes on to say, he says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. You know, when a person trusts in Christ, two things happen. The Spirit of God does two things. One, the Spirit of God enters into the heart of that believer. Upon upon understanding that we we are sinners and we are in need of the Savior, and we repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus Christ, and we seek forgiveness of of our sins, and we trust in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, we are saved. And the Spirit of God indwells himself within us. That's the one thing that he does. But also, not only does he not only does he um, take up residence in the heart of those believers, but he also, in doing that, creates a spiritual union between new believers and other believers. There's one thing in which we all have in common as believers of Christ. We all have the Spirit of God that dwells inside us. We all have that same Spirit that is encouraging, that is loving, that directs us in, in the way that we should live. And if we all have that single source that is all pushing us towards a goal and a purpose, which is exactly the same, we have an element of unity there that should be exercised. The Spirit of God attaches to all of our lives together and we become one in life and in purpose For the purpose of preaching the gospel, back up up to chapter 1 and verse 27. he says, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the truth of the gospel. This is a unified body that is driving for the purpose that is only found in Jesus Christ. They are unified together wanting to drive forward for the purpose of what God has called them to do. In the mind of the Holy Spirit, it's set upon unity and fellowship. It's all centered on Jesus Christ and his mission. And if, whenever it comes down to it, if we have this unifying spirit amongst us and we disagree, where does the problem lie? If you really think about it, is it in us or is it in God's spirit? Is it in us or is it in God's Word? Obviously, it's not God. He's unchanging. The Bible is the Word of God. It's unchanging. It's the standard. It's foundational. If we find ourselves bumping heads, one of two things can happen. Okay, now this is philosophy 101. Okay? If you have two opposing views, only two things can happen one is wrong, the other is right, or they're both wrong. One thing they can't be is they can't be both right. Does that make sense? So in fact, if we find ourselves in conflict with one another, whatever it may be, as big, as huge as the paint on the walls, or something doctrinal, one is wrong, one is right, or you may have to scratch both and really find out what the truth is, because the spirit of the fellowship of the the fellowship of the Spirit will never contradict itself, never. It will never contradict itself. God is not schizophrenic. Okay, he's got one idea, one purpose, one goal, one body of believers in this world that he is working to accomplish his, his, his goal here. It says here, it goes on to say that we are to be of one accord. It says, you know, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. If we all were driving toward the very same purpose, following the same book and the leadership of the same spirit, we should all be on the same page, Right? And if we find ourselves that we're not, what do we need to do? Renew our minds, correct? We need to renew our minds and make sure that whenever we, whenever we move forward, we're moving forward with what God has called us to do. And whenever we're all unified and renewed and whenever we are being transformed into the image of God and who he is, then we will be unified in moving forward. You know, there would be no divisive, no divisive elements whatsoever in the church, no talk about differences, no gossip, no rumors, no cliques. nothing whatsoever that would disturb the fellowship of the Spirit in the church. But, However, when we find ourselves in conflict, we need to step back and say, okay, God, what's the truth here? Number four. I hope we won't spend very much time on this because I preached on it not too long ago, but unity and compassion. <clears throat> it says here in verse two. It says, "Therefore if that, um, not verse two, verse one in chapter two, "Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ and if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if any affection and mercy, the compassion that we need to have is the compassion that Jesus Christ showed." Jesus Christ loved people. He had a compassion. Whenever he looked at over the multitudes, they were like sheep having no shepherd. They were just, they were, it was just chaos. He didn't look down at, the, down at them and say, you know what, it's just so despicable. I can't stand what they're doing. No, it says that he was moved with compassion for them as, as, as they were sheep without a shepherd. You know, we live in a world where we, there are people are, are lost and dying around us. They don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And as we talked about earlier, yes, we get disgusted when we see the lifestyles that are going on. But the reason that people are like that is they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are sheep without the shepherd. They are not drawing from the standard by which you and me should be drawing from, which is the Word of God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for that, we should have pity on them and have compassion towards them to move us in a way that we want to share the gospel with them and let, the, and let the Holy Spirit convict their hearts and cut them to the core that they may receive him as their personal savior and have eternal life, just, in each, just as each and every one of us have. But we need to have that compassion. We need to share that compassion. And finally, we see the unity of humility. Humility. Here we see it's the lowliness of mind. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, in humility. Now, the first thing that he talks about there in that verse, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You know, I mean, you don't have to go very far. You can flip your TV on you can find in different areas and sometimes even in your own neighborhood Believe it or not, that some people will seek glory for themselves in the church. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And people will build a castle you know, using the church to do so, to build themselves up, to give them a place of, of, of power and of, and, and of authority. And we see, as we see it worldwide that people use religion for that in many different cases. But they look to seek vain glory for themselves. There's something that the scripture calls conceit or vainglory or empty glory. And people do that. But he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now in doing this can in fact cause divisions within the church. Because whenever it, whenever we notice it and we see it, we're disgusted about it, right? Yeah, we don't like seeing it. And what do we do? Did you see him? Did you see her? And it kind of starts to divide people. But not only for us in today's, in today's world, it actually happened with the disciples in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, listen to this, "As now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. You're like, well, who's the greatest here? We know the worst is that's Judas, right? Yeah, but I gotta be better than the rest of these guys. But it calls to dispute. When it comes for us actually um, um, performing and doing the things that we, um, we are doing for the purpose of building ourselves up or for a selfish ambition or conceit, it will cause divisions. It will break up unity. And we fight that by being humble and living our lives in humility. On Sunday night, a couple of Sundays ago, I mean, I, 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 let, I let everybody know that, you know, I love, I love talking about humility, you know. And I actually wrote a book on it. It's a really good book it's a really it's a great book on humility it's a great it's a great book the title of it is the three most humble people in the world and how i trained the other two right but humility is something that we really need to exercise in order for us to maintain the unity within the body of christ never doing anything for selfish ambition in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, envy and jealousy, there's really no place for that in the Lord's house. There really isn't. And if you think about it, jealousy, what, it, what that does, and envying somebody else's position or, what or their talents or something that they've done, that envy will kind of drive us to want to position ourselves up above that person. Or to try to meet that level of standard. And maybe even try to keep people down. Now what that will do is that, is that one, keeping people down also keeps you down. Okay, Whenever you're trying to hold someone down, you have to stay with them. So just for instance, like we're here on, this, on these steps and someone's coming up. but I don't want them coming up here because I've got my castle. If I want to hold them down there, I've got to walk down here and hold them down. And out of envy and self, self-righteousness and conceitedness, I'm holding them down here because I want to make sure I maintain my status above them. But in humility, whenever we esteem whenever we others as better than ourselves, as you'll see further on in, the, in, that, in that verse there, in order to do that, when you start lifting people up and pushing them up, you too rise up with them. Does that make sense? In the spirit of humility, you will rise further than in the spirit of self-envision and conceitedness. He says, let each esteem others better than themselves. You know, a humble person may be a position of power. A humble person may have a position of power, wealth, fame, and even much more. But a humble person Even though he possesses the power, wealth, and the fame, he carries himself in the spirit of lowliness and submission. He denies himself for the sake of Christ in order to help other people. So just because you have a power or a position of power and authority doesn't necessarily mean that you're not humble. No. But you can be humble in those whenever you use it to help others. And you esteem others as better than you are. And in this, we we also see the, the same example. Let's just let's skip down to verse five again. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. God came in the flesh. To be one of us. How humble is that? How humiliating is that? And he was obedient even to the death of the cross. Being hung naked and ashamed in front of all the world to see. For you. And me. Humility causes us to esteem others better than ourselves. We drive for the betterment of other people. We try to make everyone around us benefit from the effort that we put forward. And it's not something that's done out of selfish ambition for ourselves. We're no longer trying to build a castle for ourselves, but yet we are wanting to see other people rise up. We want to put our effort in other people and raise them up. The spirit that must prevail in a strong, unified church must be that of humility. It must be. We can't be high-minded, proud, or even haughty at spirit or even arrogant. The same is to have the mind of Christ when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Humility results in healthy relationships in our congregation. It acknowledges and boosts others. It encourages and helps, and it motivates others to grow and to do more. If there's anything that could be discouraging is to have the proud person right next to you, right? Because you don't want to work with that guy or that girl. You don't, want, you don't want to do that. but However, we all like to work along somebody who is humble. We all like to work along, along some, alongside someone who's trying to lift us up. But we need to make sure that we are that person that is lifting others up. And just think if everyone was unified in this, in humility. If everyone lived our lives as, and seeing other people as Jesus saw them. If we had the very mind of Christ that gave us the ability to... To not do, to, to eliminate selfish ambition or conceitedness, and for us to live in lowliness of mind, and for us to esteem each other as better than ourselves. Man, think about it. Wow. How the how how it would be transforming. And back to Romans twelve, 12 chapter sixteen, Paul wrote this. He said, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinions. We associate with the humble. We don't put our minds on the high things. We we associate with the humble and we're unified in humility. Humility will unite us. Thinking we're better than someone else and selfish ambition and conceitedness will divide. So however, if we're gonna have the mind of Christ, we must be humble in doing so. And in closing, as we prepare for a time of invitation this morning, is a few more thoughts. I want you to know that humility takes great courage. And for you to honestly take a look at yourself, it takes great courage to be honest with ourselves, to see if, in fact, we are humble, or if we are doing things for our own selfish gains. But one thing for sure, when we talk about the unity of the body of Christ when we renew our minds the byproduct being a unity of consolation love the fellowship of the spirit compassion, humility we should let nothing interfere with the spirit of the unity in the church we should never let anything divide us but I want you to understand once you recognize there's a division once you recognize there's a separation something needs to take place and what is that? renewing of our minds, feeding your, feeding your mind with the very word of God, doing what he's called, be transformed into Christ's likeness. If we're all like Christ, then we're unified. If we're all transformed into what he wants us to be, then we will stand unified. If we allow the Bible to be the standard by which we make judgments on everything, we will be unified. And what Paul wrote here, in verse 2, as he started off, he said, Fulfill my joy being like minded. Fulfill my joy being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul's point was very simple, but it was direct. His joy would be fulfilled by the unity of the Philippian church. His joy. Now, I don't doubt that leaders and members of congregations all over the world and in the church, they usually have joy in Christ. There's no question about that. I wouldn't wouldn't doubt it. But how much more joy could we experience if unity truly existed? How much more joy? Working alongside together, driving for the one purpose, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, for the purpose that Christ has called us to do in unity, completely as one in Christ. Joy is always going to be disturbed when there are divisive, negative things taking place. We're to worship, we're to plan, we're to organize, we're to minister, we're to serve in the joy of Christ. But that only happens when we're like-minded. It only happens when we're unified. It only happens when we have the same love. We, have this, we are in one accord and in one mind. And this is only going to happen when we as individuals, take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth and we renew our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's stand let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word today. Father, we thank you so much that, uh, that you want us to stand in unity together for you. Father, we thank you so much for the mission that you've given us. And, Lord, we know that it's a a great mission to have. But we know that we can only be the most effective when we stand together, unified in who you are and what you want us to do. Father, I pray that if there are divisions or if there are conflicts within our congregation here at First Baptist, expose them, Father, and and let us handle it in the the way that you would see fit. Father, I want to thank you so much again for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.